Yeah, well, what I always start with is what I call soapbox debate. Again, students don't know what a soapbox is anymore, but for me, it just means standing up and giving your claim and warrant. So just standing up and giving an argument. And so I just have like three or four students stand up and give arguments about whatever question I put out there. I like to start the year when I first introduced this with something non-mathematical, just like what's the best movie or who's the best musician or something. And students give their claim and their reasoning, which is their warrant. Like my first time I did this, it was like a soapbox debate as my warm up for like five minutes of class. And I had you're listening four, to the ever so charming math teacher and department chair at the Archer School for Girls in Los Angeles and debate guru Chris Lesniak. We talk, no, we debate with Chris about why we should have students debate in math class, how you can get started with this routine in any classroom, what pitfalls to watch out for, and where you can go to get resources to make this happen in your classroom. Let the debate begin. Let's do it. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce from TapIntoTeenMinds.com. And I'm John Orr from MrOr-IsAGeek.com. We are two math teachers who, together, with you, the community of math moment makers worldwide who want to build and deliver math lessons that spark engagement, fuel learning, and ignite teacher action. John, are you ready to talk to our good friend, Chris? Of course, Kyle, of course. We are super pumped to bring you this episode as always. But uh, you know what's fantastic? What, John? What's fantastic? Hmm. Opening up Apple Podcasts and seeing a brand new five-star rating and review from the Math Moment Maker community. Just like this five-star rating and review from PA Math Teacher. The title says, Amazing Podcast. I just want to say that I truly enjoy listening to every episode. I have a list of ideas to try thanks to you guys. I started using Estimation 180 and my kids love it. I'd love to hear you talk about restorative practices in the math classroom. Keep up the wonderful work. I'm sure we will get to that too, but thank you so much, PA math teacher, for taking the time to reach out and uh, share your learning with the community. So uh, awesome stuff there. So go ahead. What are you waiting for? It only takes a minute to fire us an honest rating and one more minute to leave a review. All right. Now, before we get to our discussion with Chris, we want to let you know that if you're listening to this before May 29th, 2020, then you're cutting it close to joining us for our 12-week full online workshop this summer cohort. Our workshop is designed to walk you through step-by-step at your own pace to help you teach through real-world problems and create those resilient problem solvers you're after. If you're interested in learning more about registering, be sure to check out makemathmoments.com forward slash online workshop. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash online workshop. If you're listening after the summer 2020 registration closes, you can still head to makemathmoments.com forward slash online workshop to join the wait list in order to get notified for your next opportunity to participate. All right, so don't wait. Hit the pause button and head to makemathmoments.com forward slash online workshop. 
All right, now let's uh, not take up any more of your precious time and get to our chat with Chris. Hey there, Chris. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. We're super excited to have you on the show today. How are things since we last saw you? I think it was back in uh, Salt Lake City. I think we met up at the airport there for a, a brief while as we were waiting for flights. How are things with you? Yeah. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Things are good here. Just busy as always between school and conferences and all that stuff going on. Awesome. Awesome stuff. That is fantastic. As we just said, Chris, we've met you a few times now and chatted at conferences. But uh, Chris, do us a favor and our listeners a favor and fill them in a little bit about yourself, where you're coming from. What's your role right now in education? Well, currently I am a math teacher and I am also like department chair and math coach and things for my school, the Archer School for Girls in Los Angeles. It's a small, all girls independent school that I currently work at. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's nice. Very nice. And what got you into the whole math teaching gig? Is this something that you sort of knew early on or was it something that sort of late in your post-secondary endeavors that sort of you kind of pivoted to? Uh, What's the story there? It came like in college, I really got into it. I was always good at school, but I went to college for theater, not sure what I wanted to do. (laughs) And I had a really awesome math professor who got me to do math as a major. And then I went to grad school. And along the way, I really enjoyed some of the teaching and the tutoring I was doing. And I eventually started teaching full time through the Math for America program and started teaching in New York City public schools for a long time. And that was my start to teaching. And then you moved out to the West Coast after that. Is that right? Yeah, about five years ago, I followed my husband to Los Angeles and found this job at this all-girls school. That's really awesome. And yeah, now I'm enjoying better weather in California. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. I'm wishing that I had the better weather too, but uh, have not made the move yet, I guess. (laughs) Chris, something we always ask everybody on the show, we want to know about people's memorable math moments from when they were in school. Would you be able to fill us in on something that was memorable when we say math class? Yeah, I think going back to when I was in college, I had my like one required math class I was taking. It was a calculus class. And my professor was very student-centered and almost like a flipped classroom where we'd have some assignments to learn math on our own and then come to class and have to put all these problems up on the boards, like vertical non-permanent services um, back before that right, was research. Before we called it that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was like just so engaging. I mean, I went to very traditional math classes my whole life. And until I got to college, I actually had this engaging class and I really enjoyed it and talked to my professor who became my advisor for college and became a math major and just wanted to take more and more and had a really fun time. It was like the first time I saw math as like looking at patterns and solving puzzles and things. And it wasn't just memorizing a bunch of formulas and getting through the tests. Cool. Yeah, that's interesting to like, it's so powerful to have like a really quality teacher that you just go, yes, I get this. And this is now sinking in. I'm wondering, Chris, did that teacher have like it how obviously it has had a memorable effect on you to remember math class in that way. Did that teacher have any influence in your early career as a teacher? Well, a couple of things. He he was a math professor and a math ed professor at my school. So teaching was kind of always in the background in our conversations. But uh, he encouraged me to go to grad school for math with what I was doing. And so I went just pure math at first for grad school. And I didn't talk to him after that, but I came back to teaching as I realized I liked the teaching I was doing more than the research. And yeah, made that my career. 
Awesome. Awesome. Fantastic. I'm wondering, we like to also ask some educators when they're coming on, if someone was wondering, like, what did early Chris look like in the classrooms? John and I have talked about it a lot on the podcast. Like we try to be as transparent as possible. I, you know, when I see students from that first or second year of teaching, I actually ran into a student that I taught a long time ago, who's now teaching and uh, ran into her in a school. And I was sort of like embarrassed that I came in and I was there to do some co-teaching with a teacher sort of saying like, oh, I'm so sorry. What did early, when we think back to Chris, fresh out of your faculty experience and getting right in there, what did that look like and sound like? Oh, embarrassing to look to think about. But, um, you know, as much as like I'm talking now to you about the student-centered experience I had in college, I started off being very teacher-centered, just like the way I had experienced high school. And I remember in a embarrassing way thinking that I was going to be entertaining enough to make the math worth learning, um, <laughs> just like cracking jokes and being energetic or whatever. But it was still very like straightforward, traditional teaching, like you mm-hmm. might picture. And yeah, it took me a long time to kind of <laughs> get the spotlight off of me and onto the students. For sure. I think we felt the same exact way. You know, we came in there and we're like, oh yeah, yeah you know, like we're cool. We're hip. Just that I'm picturing Austin yeah. Powers, you know, <laughs> I'm cool. I'm hip. And obviously it might've worked for maybe building some relationships. Like that was a huge help, obviously. But in terms of the math piece, you know, I feel like I failed miserably, but at the same time failed forward, right? Because we learn from all we do. As I say, I picture myself more as Dwight Schrute <laughs> than <laughs> what you're saying, but yeah. Right. It makes me very curious. Like we all say that we taught very traditionally because we are taught traditionally, but I'm wondering if that's the actual case right now is like, Chris, what do you think? Like you being, you know, department chair at your school, and I don't know how many new teachers you see on a regular basis. Like what do our new teachers look like? Are they still teaching traditionally or are they not? Do you think people are teaching traditionally? because as a new teachers, because they were taught that way? Or is it because they're just trying to like survive? Yeah, that's a really good question. I haven't thought about it. Like our newest teachers, and we have like teaching fellows on our campus that we are helping train. They're definitely traditional to them involves like group work and students at tables, like the classroom, I think that they've experienced or they've seen or heard of or whatever is a little different than than the traditional I experience. So I think that's shifting a little, but I guess when I say traditional right now, what I'm realizing is what I really mean is like the focus is on you, the teacher and how awesome you are and like all the cool things you're going to do instead of like on the students and how you're going to help them really make sense of things and own the learning. I think that that is such a struggle and probably one of the biggest struggles that we hear from people when they come forward and they say like, I want like they're over the belief piece about how math should be taught. And they want to do things a little differently. They want to put students at the center and they want students to really essentially allow them to think through problems and help sort of refine their thinking. But yet I find it's such a challenge, especially when we haven't really seen it in action necessarily. And something that for myself, and I know John would agree, has really helped us in sort of kind of like breaking down that wall or that barrier is the idea of math discourse and getting students in discussions 
in math class. And we know that research would support this as well. And we know that you have a special place in your heart for putting students at the center and not only getting them into math discourse, but also really pushing this convincing and defending of their thinking, even so much so that you've actually recently written a book called Up for Debate. (laughs) And I'm wondering, can you sort of give us a little bit of an idea of how did like math discourse sort of get on the radar for you as a teacher now to the point where obviously you've refined it over time in order to actually put together a fabulous resource for teachers? Like, what did that look like, sound like moving from that early Chris to the Chris today that's really trying to put students in the driver's seat? Yeah, my journey really began kind of what you're saying is wanting to have student discourse. I, being traditional, the conversation was more led by me and carried by me. And I, when I asked students something, it was just asking them for an answer or something quick that I would respond to or evaluate. And so I was looking for ways to really deepen or heighten or grow the discourse I was having in my math class. And I just because of my own personal background in debate, where I was a speech and debate student, and when I was in New York City, I founded and coached a speech and debate team. And I saw all this engagement the students had in debate. They like they like to learn about the real world, and they wanted to stay after school for an extra hour to like work on their cases. That I started to wonder what debate in math class could look like. And I mean, it was around the same time the Common Core was rolling out in the U.S. And they talk about you know wanting students to create viable arguments and critique the reasoning of others. And so like all this was kind of stirring around in my mind at the same time. And I wanted to create a debate routine for my class, which was the first time I did it as just like a five-minute warm-up was the first time I think I really shifted my class from being centered around me to being centered around the students and their discussion and their learning. Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here. And I've got just a quick message specifically for our district-level mathematics decision makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12? Setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. Hmm. Gotcha. I can see that progression happening. We've talked to Kathy Fosnow and she's always talking about creating mathematicians in our classrooms. And, you know, I was just at a, a meeting with the local university, actually not too local, but it's in London, like London, Ontario. Teachers went there and we talked about transition from 12th grade to university and and saying like what do you want your students to have coming in like what would you think about and they all say it's like they want to be able to 
we can help kids with some of the math parts. Like it's not the math. Like, and they're also, you know, they're high flyers, they're university bound students, but I found it very interesting that they said that they want kids to be able to construct arguments and lay them out really like elaborately and nicely. Like they want to write proofs eventually. So they want these arguments to be nicely laid out. And they said, kids, they just aren't really good at that. And I appreciate the work that you're doing on that because that also aids that. Chris, I'm wondering, could you give us like a mini kind of a mini workshop here on what this routine looks like, sounds like in classrooms? Yeah, I would say, so there's two things I do with my students. Like first, I teach them how to debate and really I just giving them sentence frames, just kind of borrowing from my elementary school teacher friends. And I've just played with the language over time and heightened it a little bit. So I have students say my claim is my warrant is instead of just like, I think because just like more formalized language. And then I give them questions that are debatable. So instead of just asking, like how to solve this problem, it's what's the best way to start this problem? Or what's the best method for the system of equations, for instance, or put up a bunch of different mistakes and which student has the best mistake. And so then we have a reason to have opinions about the math, but also talking through the math. And from there, we can go into deeper arguments at any time. On my radar right now is this idea of really trying to get students to kind of build and use their adaptive reasoning skills and using some of the language like convince your neighbors or are you convinced yourself? But I really like this idea of students making claims and really throwing out ideas and hypothesis essentially and giving reasoning behind it. So I'm wondering, do you have sort of like an easy start routine that like if you were to say, hey, listen, like within the next week, I want to try to incorporate this because we know if we don't try to put this into action sometime in the next little while, it'll probably fall off our radar. So if I'm sitting at home right now listening to this going like, wow, this sounds like something that I really would like to bring into my classroom in order to get that mathematical discourse going, get students debating. Do you have any suggestions, almost like starter tips to get going? Yeah, well, what I always start with is what I call a soapbox debate. Again, students don't know what a soapbox is anymore, but for me, it just means standing up and giving your claim and warrant. So just standing up and giving an argument. And so I just have like three or four students stand up and give arguments about whatever question I put out there. I like to start the year when I first introduced this with something non-mathematical, just like what's the best movie or who's the best musician or something. And students give their claim and their reasoning, which is their warrant. Like my first time I did this, it was like a soapbox debate as my warm up for like five minutes of class. And I had three, four, or five students share out, and then that was it. And we went on with whatever the regular lesson was that I had planned. And so for the first year, I would just do a warm up now and then. And that was my like entry drug into it of just like kind of playing with it as just, just a warm up routine. And then from there, expanding once I got more comfortable with it all. Is this something that's high school only or do you see this in middle school, elementary school? Are there some tips for those teachers too? I work middle and high school right now. I'm at a six through 12 school, but I've seen teachers who've been to my workshops of all grades play with it and do it in their own way. Some teachers change language a little bit. I like 
the formality of the word. So I just caution them to be careful which words they pick for the sentence frame. But I think at any level, you can ask a student, what is the best first step? Or like, what's the best interpretation? Or what's the coolest graph I can make for this? Or something along those lines where they you're inviting them into the conversation to talk about math with math vocabulary, but to have an opinion about it and start building arguments. And again, this is just like to get the ball rolling, to get them started in talking in math class and building arguments. And then we can go into like other things along the way with proof and stuff and actually make really convincing arguments grounded in math. But my warmups are just to get the routines and the habits started so kids are comfortable creating arguments and sharing them out either in pairs or with the whole class. And that seems like such a easy way to get yourself going because I think sometimes as teachers, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, right? Like we have a lot of big ideas. We want to do things. We want change to happen as soon as possible. As soon as we believe something's going to be helpful for our students, we want that to happen now because we want them to get the benefit of it. And I think by sort of having this as something that's small enough, but regular enough where you can kind of refine it and come back to it and then kind of expand on it and almost like build it where it becomes just a part of how you do business. I think that's such a great strategy. So I appreciate you sharing that. Now, as you get started and as people, whether it's just with this little routine each day for warmups or every Wednesday, if that's the day that you want to start, are there any challenges or hurdles that you maybe experienced along the way as you were kind of tinkering with this idea or that maybe some other teachers have had and you've sort of heard along the way? Is there anything that maybe teachers might want to watch out for, any advice for them as they try to take the first step here? For sure. I think the biggest concern is like, what about that student who is shy or struggles with math or English language learner or for whatever reason might not be comfortable joining in? And I get it. I say, first of all, the sentence frame, it gives a level of safety to students to temporarily join in the conversation because it's only one sentence I'm asking them to say, and I've already given them half the words. And the formality of it helps them talk about the ideas and not the person that they're debating. But with that, like I also give some think time to students before we start sharing out. If students prefer some time to write something down and want to read off what they wrote down, that's fine. Pair sharing is a great way to like try out your argument with a partner first before we maybe share out to the whole class, if that's the goal. And then I talk about like the really shy or nervous or whatever student who is really concerned about sharing out in front of the class or just, you know, from their seat to the class. And that like, I may pull them aside and do a little like doorway chat on the way out of class and just like, hey, I know you're really nervous. I know you didn't want to join in today. I could see it from your face. Can I have you join in like in two days when we come back on Friday and do this? And maybe give them the question ahead of time so they can start thinking and really have a moment to practice. Again, I try to really stress that it's just a sentence I want them to say and they're sitting back down and there's no wrong answers. I love to start debating, with, like I said, with like something fun, like best movie, best music. And then I also like to do a bunch of ones throughout the year that are like a which one doesn't belong or something that's very easy, like low entry points for all students to have something to grab onto and to argue about so that they have lots of options. Yeah, those are some good strategies for us to get into and also to kind of like watch out for. I, I really like to think pair share. I think there's a lot of power in that, that we kind of just gloss over. It's like, I remember think pair share is something that I'm in teacher's college that I was like, oh, this strategy where they're supposed to talk first or think of themselves, talk first, and then they share it in this group. I'm like, come on, 
really. But this strategy has been one of the easiest to implement, but also like the easiest to get kids to talk quicker and have more confidence to say things because they can say it to someone else first. They'll say it out loud to the whole group immediately after. It's a good one that I've always kind of used. Chris, I'm wondering what changes or outcomes have you observed in your classroom since including debate in this, you know, your routines? Like I'm thinking, how has it changed your class atmosphere or grades or like confidence in kids or problem solving? Like what kind of after effects are we seeing if like, let's say a teacher wants to try this and they're like, okay, well, it's going to take time out of my day. Uh, I got to make sure I try this. Like what after effects can those teachers expect to see? Yeah, well, I, I would first say it's it's not changing my lesson plans. I'm just doing the activities I'm already going to do with the structure of debate behind them. So it's not even adding to my time or anything, but the benefits are very worth it. Like I, the students, if they start the class with this discussion and debate, it just spills over into everything we do. Like even when we don't have a debate activity planned, whether like in writing or in speaking later on in class, students are still constantly talking and making arguments. And like if we just did, let's say like a visual patterns, they'll talk about what they think the next one looks like. And they'll say it in the form of claim and warrant, even though I don't ask them to, but they just get in this habit of like, I need to keep explaining myself and convincing others of what I'm thinking, because we do it as a regular warm up. So it just it spills into everything I do. It's easy for me to ask for students to like explain or prove their answer on a, on a worksheet or on a quiz or on a test or something like that. And so students just get in this habit of always explaining themselves. And it doesn't seem out of the ordinary to be doing that in my class. If we always have kids thinking and having to essentially convince others and justify and defend, what we're really teaching them to do is to make sure that they make sense of the math. You know, like I feel like naturally that is something that comes out of this because if I am going to defend something, I need to understand it well enough for me to be able to articulate why my thinking makes sense. And I think that's one of the most challenging parts, I think, in shifting math class from more of its, we'll call it like the hundred years ago sort of math class, which is still happening in many classrooms today, to something that's more vibrant and full of energy and thinking and reasoning and proving. And to me, that is such an important piece. And I just think it just seems like such a great way to be able to bring that understanding and that thinking to the table. And you asked about grades and things. I can't say how grades improve because I do debate from like beginning of the school year all the way through. So, but I do think about the end of the year surveys where students talk about like in this class with me, like math made sense. I had to like make sense of it. I was recognizing patterns. It wasn't about memorizing things in this classroom. And so that that's what really makes me the happiest. If the grades stayed exactly the same, but kids had understanding versus just a bunch of memorized facts that they'll probably forget a couple of weeks from now, I wish there was a way. It's so difficult with education, especially since we don't want to have, let's say, period one class. I do something that I don't believe in and I don't think is helpful as maybe I do with period two just to compare later. But at the end of the day, I'm guessing that retention is going to be higher for those kids too. And I'd be curious if you ever get that opportunity to bump into some kids a year later, you know, what they think about their preparedness 
for the next school year. Because I think most teachers, like we've all had that experience where kids say like, oh, we never learned this last year. And you're like, I know you learned this last year. You know, like this was something that is such a big part of that grade or that course. I know it's there. So maybe we just didn't hang on to it because there was no understanding there. There was no deep connections made. So Chris, we're talking about your book and we're talking about all these great ideas. We're talking about some of the things that interest John and I and that we think are really important. But I'm wondering, like, for those who are going to run out and grab your book and they were to open that book, and if they could only read one part of that book, what do you think would be the best (laughs) section for that biggest takeaway? And maybe it's something that we discussed already, but I got to assume there's some nuggets in there that you probably think like, man, this one's a really good one. What would that be for you? (laughs) Well, I'd say read read the whole book. (laughs) I try to keep it short, so it was like something that a teacher could read. I'm, right. I was writing it in my spare time. Let's put that in quotes as a teacher. So yeah, what um, spare time? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would say so. Uh, some of the things we just talked about about the routines and the sentence frame are in there, but um, something that teachers always marvel at is one of the chapters is about how to make debatable questions. And I always, whenever I'm at a conference, I challenge teachers to stump me and come up with a math question that I can't turn into a debatable moment. And so I I have a chapter where I talk about the tips and tricks and ways that I can turn pretty much any math topic or any question you were thinking of asking into a debatable moment. So that, and not that everything I do in math class is always a debate. Um, I do ask for an answer at times for some things, but throughout there, I can, whatever I'm doing each day, there can be some moment here or there where I'm like, now that you know how to do this, let's form opinions about X, Y, or Z. John, I feel like, you know, it's like he's daring us right now to give him something. (laughs) What do you got, John? You have anything on the tip of your tongue? Uh, You know, give me a second. Chris, why don't you, why don't you give us a couple of examples to start? For example, I just with my ninth graders, I really got John off his game there. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, My ninth graders, we were looking at today writing equations of lines given like criteria. Like if I know the slope and a point, could I write an equation? Or if I know two points, could I write an equation of a line? That's what we were working on today. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, yeah. So depending on your objective, it could go in lots of different directions. But like if you were, say, reviewing the different equations of a line, like standard form and, you know, point slope form and stuff, you could just start class with the debate of what's the best equation of a line or what's the most useful form for equation of a line. Or if you're talking about like nitty gritty of like slope intercept form, like what do you think is the most important number or most important part of this equation? Mm, I like like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you you know, you could learn a lot. I'm just picturing in my mind, like how much you could learn just based on a student, even that like funny student who's going to defend this equation because they make up a story about why like the Y intercept is like so awesome or whatever it is. Right. But you could probably learn a lot about what the kids know and maybe don't quite understand yet about these different equations. So I really like that. That was great. Yeah. And you get to see what their preferences are. And like, I talk a lot about systems of equations, questions of like, what's the best method. And I get to see the students who say like, they prefer the graphing method, like the, who's the really visual person in my class who doesn't want to get with the messy algebra and vice versa, who keeps saying, I love substitution method and doesn't like to graph things, um, who loves just messy algebra. I get to see their personalities come out more than I would than just asking them to solve the problem. Right. We had an ongoing, this is before I had learned about your debate routine. And I think the first time I had seen you present on this was at 
NCTM in San Diego last year. And we had this ongoing debate in our 12th grade class about long division of polynomials. I had shown the how it related to the area model which none of them had remembered or probably been shown on how to multiply numbers from like grade four or five and how it can extend into algebra. And so I had to reteach all that. So we had like a whole day on the area model with multiplying and dividing polynomials. And then I taught the long division format also. And it was like, you can choose. And so there was an ongoing debate every day of which kids wanted to do long division and which kids wanted to do the area model. And it was like a heated battle. It was like, who's doing what? And you're in one camp or the other. And it was like two sides of a war that just kept going on for a whole unit of math. Yeah. And so if you had the debate routine, like let's convince right. each other, right. convince the other yeah, side. Convince it's better. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Well, so for folks out there, we know that obviously you've got this book. So that's one resource where they can take a super deep dive. Are there any other resources out there off of the top of your mind that folks might want to go check out, learn a little bit more about this idea of debate and math class, maybe learn a little bit more about Chris? What do you have for them? Yeah, a few things. The best place to start probably is my website, just my last name, luzniak.com, L-U-Z-N-I-A-K.com. On there, I have resources. There's been other teachers out there who have taken the debate math stuff I've been doing and created some activities and things that they share with me that are out there for others to look at. So there's some resources on there. I also link to some videos. I've done some like Ignite talks and shorter and longer talks about it. So there's some more information on there as well as reference links to the book and and my blog is linked on there so you can see some of the things I've tried over the years and written about on my blog. And the other thing is I think about on Twitter, which is my favorite form of professional development. I'm C. Lesniak on there. But uh, if you follow the hashtag debate math, we started doing and any teacher who's heard of this stuff or been to one of my sessions at a conference or something and has shared out what they've tried when they've gone back to their classroom has often use the hashtag debate math. So if you search under that hashtag, you can see lots of examples of things teachers of all grade levels have done and it just keeps growing. I'm on your site right now, Chris, and I'm seeing like uh, copies of files we can download from functions and slope and systems of equations and area of shapes and inequalities and right triangles. Looks like lots of good resources for teachers to get their hands on. So thanks for sharing all of that. And uh, Chris, this has been a fantastic conversation. If you're up for it, we'd love to have you back on the show in a little bit to kind of fill us in on what where you are in your journey. But before we go, is there anything else you're interested in and kind of like diving in and thinking about uh, what's on the horizon? I'd say I'm playing with how to keep extending this more. I have a couple projects on my website, like an end of unit kind of summative project that involves some debate. I'm trying to build some more of those. And I'm just thinking more as I've done this more and more over time, the way it shifts the students in my classroom from just answer getters to like explainers. And I want to even heighten that. I'm thinking a lot about in the US, the current political culture and how debate is a big part of helping students find their way to speak up in a 
professional way, let's say. That's fantastic there, Chris. That sounds super interesting. And this episode, as it goes live, is, you know, we'll be approaching spring soon with this episode going live. And that means it won't be long before the next virtual summit. And I know this past, our first virtual summit, you had CMC and you were, you know, really busy and traveling and all kinds of things going on with the book launch. So hopefully next time around, we'll be able to get your voice and your message into the virtual summit. So folks from the Math Moment Maker community can uh, get to know you even more so and really take that deep dive and maybe into some of those extensions that you just shared with us. Yeah, and I'm working on some more online course stuff with uh, grassroots workshops and stuff to get just people who want to really deep dive into all the different options and ideas. And I can share a lot more that way because I can't travel everywhere I want to (laughs) go. Right. And grassroots is a great place to do that with. We're looking forward to seeing you on there because I think I would love to dive in a little bit more deeper with your resources. So that's awesome stuff. Thanks. I should have a course up in the fall, fall 2020. Awesome. We will look forward to that. And when that goes live, we'll probably come back to our site here and update the show notes page to include all of that. And we're going to include all of the other resources Chris has shared here on the show notes page. So Chris, we want to thank you so much for joining us and we hope you enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, we appreciate all of the resources you're sharing here with us tonight. Awesome guys. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been fun. We want to thank Chris again for spending some time with us to share his insights with us and you, the Math Moment Maker community. As always, how will you reflect on what you've learned from this episode? We've talked about some big ideas. How have you sent out a tweet? Have you written it down? Have you called a colleague? Be sure to engage in some form of learning so that the learning here today will stick with you. Before you go, we want to let you know that if you're listening to this before May 29th, 2020, then you're cutting it close to joining us for our summer cohort of the self-paced online full workshop. Our workshop is designed to walk you through step-by-step to help you teach through real-world problems and create resilient problem solvers, those problem solvers that we are always after. If you're interested in learning more about registering, be sure to check out makemathmoments.com forward slash online workshop. And if you're listening after the summer 2020 registration closing date, you can still head to makemathmoments.com forward slash online workshop to join the waiting list in order to get notified for your next opportunity to participate. Awesome stuff there, Kyle. In order to ensure you don't miss out on new episodes of the podcast as they come out each Monday morning, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you're liking what you're hearing, please share the podcast with a colleague and help us reach an even wider audience by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and tweet us your biggest takeaway by tagging at Make Math Moments on Twitter, Instagram, and you can find us on Facebook. Show notes and links to resources from this episode can be found at makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 77. Again, that's makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 77. Well, until next time, Math Moment Makers, I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. And high fives for you. Ooh.
if you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent, principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle, walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook. After completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.